and we have been um, looking this month at uh, the book of Acts, and starting in chapter 3, I'd like just to read to you uh, the first 12 verses. And so let's start here, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he came, so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took them, he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his strength immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength so he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them walking leaping and praising God and all the people saw him walking and praising God then they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened now, as a lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, and it just, I love this, I love these pictures, like he is literally hugging them both. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So Peter saw it. He responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look you so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made him to walk? Peter and John were going, let's look at this verse by verse. Peter and John are going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And we know the ninth hour is three o'clock in the afternoon. Peter and John are walking, they have a schedule, and they're heading somewhere. And you know, the first thing that just struck me as I was reading this over this week is that Peter and John had a prayer schedule, you know? They had a schedule to pray. We We have a little... We have a little prayer chain that we've started, and it's on our Facebook page if you want to sign up for it and choose some time. Uh, If you're having problems signing up, just let me know. But here, Peter and John, they have a schedule. And, you know, spontaneous things can happen in the plan of God when there is a plan. Uh, When there is a plan, we can afford the spontaneous things. Vice versa, it doesn't work, does it? We can't be spontaneous and have a plan at the same time. And I like this. You know, you and I have a schedule, and this schedule is a sacred thing to God. Um, we are not worshiping structure, but there is a schedule that is built around our priorities in our life. When we have the right priorities, and when our focus is on Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God priorities, a schedule forms around that. Now, don't condemn yourself if you're late or, you know, or if you're, if you're not good with schedules. I'm just saying here that they were on their way to the temple to pray, and God moves. And I just want to show you, once again, a picture of the temple. And I'm going to point to it here because I don't have a cool laser pointer. <laughs> but, uh, 
So this is the temple. We showed this a little earlier to you. I like pictures. I like, I like geographical maps. I like the, you know, I like to have an image in my mind as I'm, as I'm reading. And this is the. There are three main gates. Okay, and uh, we're going to look at these gates in just a second. But uh, this is the outer gate. Um, this is the. Um, uh, this is inside the wall, the main gate. Um, this is Solomon's porch. This goes all the way around the whole thing. Okay, and this is the gate right here where most commentators believe is Gate Beautiful, or Nicanor's Gate. And uh, this is where he was right here by, interesting enough, was the treasury. This is where all, a lot of monetary transactions were going on. This was the Gate Beautiful, and it was custom for beggars, and it was acceptable and even um, noteworthy for beggars to sit here <clears throat> and ask for money as people were going into, into the temple um, feeling generous and religious, ready to give money. So, uh, and this is the inner temple. This was the court of this is the court of the Israel Israelites. The women could only come this far. Um, Gentiles could come in to a certain point, and it's interesting that the miracle happens right there, and not in here, but it happens right here because Jesus is the is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is the fulfillment of the temple, and now no longer is the focus there in a building, but it's in, it's in focus now among Gentiles, women, and men, and we find something very interesting that in the gospel, men and women and all races are equal. Isn't that amazing? That the great equalizer, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's another quick little um, um, graphic. Um, so the Shushan Gate is... There's that, there's that big wall right here. The Corinthian gate was right here. This is where uh, Solomon's porch was, this, um, this area where people could, you know, there's these pillars. People could be underneath that and just observe what was going on. It was a social place as well. This was the women's court, court and treasury. This gate was a beautiful, beautiful gate. It was, it was overlaid with very expensive, expensive bronze, probably from Corinth. And this bronze, bronze back in the day, speaks of God's judgment, and it speaks of just wealth, and speaks of just the beauty of all that was there. It was, most, it was definitely known as the most beautiful gate in the temple. And when we read this, we really see quite an interesting paradox. I read that, and <laughs> I don't know, but sometimes when I'm sitting and doing nothing, I'll just pull up my phone and I'll just read the Bible and I was sitting in a car wash at H-E-B, cars getting washed, had a free car wash there and I'm reading this passage and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Every day, verse 2, a man lame from his birth was being carried, imagine the scene here, every day, being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms. Alms is just a funny word to meaning money, just money or anything that could help me out. Asking alms of those entering the temple. Look at the scene here. Here's a man. <clears throat> he is lame from birth. He's not lame because of some kind of accident, car accident. He's not lame because of a disease or meningitis. He's not lame because of any other thing but just lame from birth. And that just speaks volumes to me because we really are like that lame man, aren't we? We are lame from birth. We, our lameness, our spiritual paralyzation does not come because of something that we did wrong in our life. Our lameness in Psalm 51 
which speaks of the depravity of all mankind begin, began right before we were even born. <coughs> David said in Psalm 51, I was speaking lies as I was being born. <laughs> when I came out of my mother's womb, I was speaking lies. Any, any mothers and fathers of infant children that could attest to that? You know, babies are very, very cute. And then we suddenly realize that they have an old sin nature. They have a fallen nature. And that's cute, too. Very cute. For a little while, right? <laughs> My wife and I, by the way, we got licensed this week to adopt, so we should be getting a phone call sometime. And we've really, when we moved to Houston, we bought the whole thing. I'm not saying buying, but we're just, we are totally immersed. We're getting a, we're getting a Texas child, too. It's a, God, God willing. So we're adopting the whole city. Anybody here want to get adopted by the, by the Moors? When we were, really? We're going to talk to your parents about it. Are you a minor still? You're a minor still, right? You're a Okay. Go, she'll bring you the paperwork. Um, so here he is laying at the gate. I mean, it's an amazing, beautiful gate. It also reminded me of something that you see a lot when you go downtown. It's beautiful, beautiful gates. It's shiny, shiny, and there's money going off on the right-hand side. You could hear the money being exchanged, probably. I'm just imagining that. And then here is this, this, bro, this, is, this lame man. I mean, have you ever seen a lame person? <clears throat> it's just amazing. Um, I remember in Ukraine, uh, we were. you see this a lot. In Europe, you see this a lot. Um, here in suburbia, you don't really see this at all. You don't really see it ever. I mean, I've never seen it in suburban America. But if you go to Europe and you go to some places and other places in the world, you will see in Ecuador and just Central America and just just very difficult places um, where it's really hard hit. I don't like the word poor. I just like to say hard hit. But when you go to these places, we were in Ukraine, and I remember walking down the street and... um, you know, there's gypsies. In every major town in Europe, there's always going to be gypsies, gypsy families that live on the street. And um, they're just, you know, I have such a heart for them. And they're just such an, a very interesting people group. I don't have time to tell you their history. But they've been a nomadic people from as long as history has been written. And they're probably, there's three groups of types of, of gypsies. And, um, but I was walking down the street one time in, in Lviv, where we were mission, missionaries, my wife and I, in Ukraine. And I saw on the side of the street a little boy, probably eight or nine years old, maybe even younger. And his legs were all kind of just deformed. And I had heard that some of these kids are deformed at birth by the parents so that they can be put on the street to get money. And so this little kid has just got, I don't know about this kid, but he had, the, he had that ash Ash look of just, he just was a gypsy. And uh, I shared the gospel many times with gypsies. And uh, they speak many languages. And uh, they are just such a very, very open, by the way. There is a great revival of God going on in Ukraine amongst gypsies. There are these huge Pentecostal churches of gypsies. And man, do they not sing. I mean, they're up there, you know, they're just got, I mean, Everyone's playing an instrument. There's not just one worship team. Everybody's playing something and singing, and it's just an amazing, amazing sight to see. And there's this little kid sitting there, and um, I walk by him, and he's in this wooden cart that was make that was looked like it was made out of a small, um, like an old, old-fashioned 
um, baby carriage, you know, the bottom part that looks like a, like a shelf or something, and there was wheels on it, and just sat in that thing, and he wheeled himself around. I just remember seeing that kid, and walking down the street, and I just lost it. I'm just walking down the street, just so broken, looking at him, and I'm just thinking, this is, this is, a, and the look on his face was like, I'm not here by choice. This is something that happened to me that I could not control. And I just remember the thought that I had, and I thought, if I give him money, where's that going to go? And, and I just, the rest of the day, wrestled with that in my mind, because in such a beautiful downtown, old town in, in, in Ukraine, and seeing this this lame child what a paradox you know what a paradox in this world that we live in and this was even a greater paradox because here you have a man lame from birth every day since he was born brought to this beautiful gate which was just wonderful and then all of these broken people what a paradox at the temple and this is the paradox that we see in religion today, don't we? We see the beautiful, you know, the beautiful, awesome churches that are just so decked out with the latest, greatest, awesome thing. And, and then yet people that have been lame from birth are being carted in. And you don't see it on their faces. You don't see it on the externals, but on the inside. So many people are lame and they're broken and they're paralyzed. And we are all in that place We are, we are spiritually lame from birth in Ephesians 2, verse 1. This is not something that can be changed like rehabilita- rehabilitation after an accident. Uh, this man's condition was something from birth. And when I look at that lame man, and I saw this when we were on Montrose Street Reach a couple weeks ago, um, you could see it. I mean, these such, Montrose is so interesting. Have you been down there before? You've got these million-dollar homes, these huge, beautiful homes. And then one street over, you have just this brokenness everywhere. And it's just like, what a paradox. And this is the world that we live in. And religion, religion has in many ways caused this because religion without Christ works without the grace of God. And uh, the, the, you know, the energy of the flesh cannot change anything in a person's life. It cannot change our lives. It cannot change our spots. We are spotted like a leper. And there's only one thing that can change our life, and that is the amazing grace of God. I'm getting ahead of myself here. And so seeing Peter in verse 3 and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. How many of you have ever been on the way, going somewhere and someone's asking you for something? It's an, it's an awkward thing, isn't it? You pull up to sometimes a stoplight and a man comes up to you with a sign and you're looking at it and, you know, I don't usually give people money. If I think that somebody's really broke, I just go buy a sandwich to them, come back and give it to them. Because I don't know where that money's going to go. <laughs> That's how I do it. Or I just take them out and invest in them, spend time with them, pray with them or something. So this man looks at Peter and asks him, hey, can you get 50 cents? You got, some, you got something I can give me? And Peter directed his gaze on him, his gaze on him as did John. And said, look at us. Now something happens here. Something happens here. Why does Peter and John both at the same time look at this man as they're going up the steps? They look down at this man. There's probably many of them there. But they just look at this one man. <clears throat> and they fix their eyes on them. In the King James, I, got, I like how it says in the, in the old King James, that they fasten their eyes. 
You know, it's like fastening like a button through a buttonhole. They, they were riveted. They just looked at this man. And there was obviously something going on in these two men's heart, Peter and, Peter and John. Something that was going on in their hearts and their spirit as they saw this man. And this man is asking for something. And Peter says, look at us. The scene is, is probably the man is saying, hey, guys, you know, can you give me something? He's looking around. Who's after them? Who's next? You know, they're not really paying attention. This man is asking for something. He's asking for something that he thinks he needs, but he has no idea who he's asking. And that happens to us. That happened in John chapter 4. Remember, Jesus is at the well, and he asks the woman, can you give me some water? And, and the woman, you know, gets, they get into this multi-ethnic, cultural, racial conflict Right at the spot there, they just, they're, they're discussing it. And Jesus says, you have no idea who I am, because if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for this eternal gift that only I can give, and you would never thirst again. So John, John Peter looks with John to this man and says, look at us. You know, look at us. And, he, and um, this word, when John and Peter are looking at him, is atenizo, which is... I think, I have a theory in the Greek, this is where we get our word attention from, but I, I, I can't prove that yet. But here, Peter and John are attending to him with the care of God, and the beggar is not looking at them. He's looking around. Peter says, look at me. Peter uses a different word in the Greek. He says, blepo, B-E-L-E-P-O, which means just, hey, just look. You don't have to be super attentive. Uh, just look at us. Look. Just turn your eyes away from all of that and just look at us. And as they do that in, in Matthew 13, verse 14, the same word is used there in the Greek, which means seeing they shall see. Speaking about Jesus Christ, seeing they shall see. This was the only thing that the beggar was commanded to do. This is very interesting because I like to look at all the semantic mechanics of what, okay, here's a miracle, something supernatural is happening. Let's break it all down so that we can just really figure out what's happening here. He was not commanded to do anything else but look. And that's just a simple look. Just give me your attention. You know, just look. This is Isaiah 45, verse 22. Look unto me and you shall be saved. This is salvation by grace plus nothing. And we add, it's so easy for us in our high achievement society to add things to the gospel, to add things to grace and that way, it just destroys the gospel. But healing here begins with the man by just looking. And I just want to say that today to you and I. You know, all of us in this room, every single one of us, there are things in our life that are really demanding our attention, really demanding our look, demanding our, our time. And Jesus says, you know what, just look to me. You're struggling with something? Romans 8, 1, no condemnation, but just look to me. Where are your judges? Neither do I judge you. That's what Jesus said to the woman in, in John chapter 8, caught in adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Notice how he says, go and sin no more. He says that after he talks about the power of living a, a, a godly life comes by understanding, looking at Jesus, and understanding that he is the judge, and that he's no longer judging us, but he is going to be our judge. Take upon himself all of our sin on the cross just a few days later in John chapter, John chapter 8. And so this man looks at Peter and John. And this all happened just in a few moments. Verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk up. Some amazing things here. We see at the beginning of the church, and I love the book of Acts because we're hitting a lot of things that churches today face and they don't know how to deal with. But at the beginning of the church, we, also, we immediately see the question of the poor and the economically hardship, hard hit. Instead of addressing the beggar's financial state, Peter and John have a better idea. And the best help that they can give him at this point is a spiritual help. And so what happens here is, is that Peter just is honest. He says, I don't have anything to give you. Probably it's true. Probably didn't have any silver or gold. And he said, but what I do, I, what I do have, I give to you. And I was thinking this morning as I was meditating on this, you know, as the message is incubating in my mind during the week, and I just was thinking about we can't give things to people that we don't have ourselves yet. I can't give someone hope if I'm not living in the hope of the gospel can't give someone grace if I'm not living in grace myself. Frustration is a beautiful signature. It's a beautiful picture in our life of something that I'm trying to do that I'm not receiving first in my life. Frustration is when I'm trying to give something that I have not received freely from God first. Whenever you live in frustration, don't condemn yourself. Don't listen, okay, I failed again. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm this and that. Just say, you know what? I'm trying to do something that I'm not living in receiving first. The gospel is about us receiving first from Christ through, through God, the plan of God, through the Holy Spirit, so that we can give to others. And so he says, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give to you. What did he have? He had an amazing understanding of who Jesus was. He said, I'm going to give you Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And it's very interesting because whenever you look, and we know this because many of us in this room being on the team understand we have just some Bible background, that whenever there's a name used or a title that's used in the Old or New Testament, it's very significant because it talks about the nature of that person. And so Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, remember what Nazareth was? Let me remember what that was. That was like the armpit. That was described as the armpit of Israel at the time. Okay? Nazareth was a place... Tell him I said hi. <laughs> Nazareth is the place where all the Roman sympathizers, all those Jews that sympathized with the Roman Empire and the Roman oppression and the Roman corruption and all the Roman trouble in Israel at the time, that's kind of like where they all lived. It was kind of like the town of Benedict Arnold's, if you know, if you know, if you know uh, American history, or not American yeah, American history. It was, it was a, not a great place to be from, you know? And that's just another part of the scandalous gospel, isn't it? Jesus is born from a virgin. Imagine God coming, and we said this at Christmas time, I'm just amazed. God is introducing his son to the world after generations and generations and millennia of prophecies, and he chooses to come through a girl that's not married. God, do you know what that looks like? <laughs> that does not look good. The savior of the world, where's dad? That just does not look good. And so God chooses to do it through this way. Jesus is from Nazareth. Nazareth was a poor place. It was a place that was despised. And so this man, why does he say that? I think because here's this beggar, probably doesn't have a great self-image, laid out every day in front, of the, in front of, the, um, of the gate beautiful. He's probably trying to make some extra money to pay those guys that carry him every day to the, to the temple. And he says, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus knows where you're from. 
He knows where, where you're from. I love the story of Jesus because God didn't send Jesus as a rock star or as a Hollywood star. He came in through a very real life. 30 years of normal living. Sometimes people say, well, Jesus doesn't understand my business. I'm a business individual because, you know, I'm a businessman and, you know, Jesus had sandals, walked around all the time preaching and doing miracles. No, Jesus worked in his dad's shop. They had a home-based business. Imagine that. Huh? That's amazing. <laughs> Imagine that. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. I remember being in Kazakhstan doing a leadership seminar there, and we took a group of people. Every seminar we do, we always like to add evangelism to it. So I just took all the leaders. We took the leaders to another town nearby and just did some street evangelism. And I just will never forget, there was this tree, and underneath the tree it was just like all the ground around the tree was all beaten down. It looked like it was just well-traveled. And I was wondering, what's that tree all about in the middle of the park? And a little bit later, this whole family of gypsies just show up, and they're all parked underneath the tree. Big, big tree, lots of shade. And that's where they lived. One of them was in a robe, like in a, just a bathrobe. And these, were, these guys just had nothing. And I went over there to share the gospel with them. They spoke Russian. I shared the gospel with them in Russian. And as I'm speaking to them, they were like, you know, we don't know about this Jesus, you know, because they're in a Muslim culture. They're not Muslims, but they're just, they're just like a religion. They just have no religion. We don't know about this Jesus, but we live under this tree. We have no place to sleep. Where's God? God's so far away from this. And, you know, when you talk to people that are in hardship, sometimes it's hard. What do you say to them? You know, I just, I just arrived in a car. You know, I, I, I ate a great breakfast. You know, I, I have clothes on, my, you know, on me. I'm nice. You know, I'm not wearing rags. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit just gave me this, this verse, Jesus of Nazareth. He had no place to lay his head. And I said, you know what? This Jesus that died for your sins paid for all of your sins so that you could have fellowship with God, he had no place to sleep. There were times where he didn't know where he was going to lay his head that night. He said, foxes have holes, you know, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay their head. When I said that, they just began to listen. You know, our God is a God who condescended, who came in the form of man. And we just see here that the most amazing thing that these guys could give them was not first a financial provision. And I think this is another thing that churches wrestle with is that, you know, there are some, there are some circles that really believe that our gospel as, as believers really should be a commercial or a humanitarian gospel. Where we're showing up on the scene and we're giving everybody money and we're giving everybody service, which is great. But I think the most, the most urgent needs in anybody's life is not me giving them a buck, but it's giving me giving them the gospel. Why? Because the gospel takes a person out of where they're at, lifts their thinking about who they are, and puts them in a place where they can start thinking with God about their life. And when we start thinking about God with God about our life, we start understanding who we are as a believer. And I think that the, the system that we live in, we live in this system today. Many people, and the, the, I think the gate beautiful, which re represents the amazing religious system of the day that just is not doing anything for anybody, but just condemning people and just, is just exaggerating the, um, the paradox that exists. And when you're around that, you just feel small, don't you? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I talk to some people that are just amazing people that are very religious, I remember growing up, 
I just thought, I'm never going to qualify for that kind of religion. And so that's where many people are at. And you know something? That could happen to us, that could happen to us tomorrow, Monday morning. We could wake up and we could feel paralyzed spiritually. We could feel guilty. We could have had a bad night or we could have just had a bad weekend. And we're saying, you know what? I can't even move. I'm laid out at the gate of beautiful. And this amazing thing that I'm a part of, you know, the Evergrace Church team, I'm, I'm at this amazing thing. And yet I just feel spiritually paralyzed, you know? What do you do? You just look unto Jesus at that moment. You just say, you know what? I'm looking away from myself. I'm going to look at Jesus Christ. Because if we can get Jesus Christ straight in our minds and get quickened by the Holy Spirit, by the renewing of our minds, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we are going to be transformed and we're not going to be conformed to this spiritual and this religious way of thinking. And so healing first happens, I believe healing first happens with this, with, with this. I believe, this is what I think happened. This is my thought. You can disagree with it. That's okay. I'm not going to, I don't say that I speak, thus saith the Lord here all the time. It's just my opinion that he, in verse 7, I'm just going to read it to you. He took him by the right hand. Again, very significant. Right hand has a lot of meaning in the Bible and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And he leaping up stood. Okay, now think of this. If you read this carefully, this is what's happening. Peter reaches down, grabs him by the right hand, probably by the right hand too. I think Peter was right-handed. I don't know, just my guess. <laughs> there's, no, you know, there's no way to figure that out. I think the Greek says he's, he's right-handed. I don't know. <laughs> he pulls him up by the right hand and pulls him. Now, Peter's a big guy, right? He's not as fast as John. We know that John and Peter, John and Peter are racing to the tomb. I like details. They're racing to the tomb when they heard that Jesus rose from the dead. Peter... Uh, Peter can't keep up with John. John gets there first, remember? So I think Peter is a little bigger. So he pulls him up by the right hand. As he's pulling him up, okay, Peter's pulling him up. Strength is going through his body and, and strengthening his legs and his ankles. And so it says here in the original, it says that as he's pulling him up, the guy just does this leap. So he's just pulling him up, and as he's going up, the guy just goes up into the air. And he's leaping, and he begins to shout. He begins to praise God, and he begins to walk. He's never walked before. He's never leaped before. And he's now leaping and praising God. I just love that because God is not interested in teaching us how to do something that we used to know how to do in the energy of the flesh. God wants to give us something that we've never, ever... He wants to, have, he wants to introduce us into a life and a walk with him that, that we've never, ever, ever could have ever practiced for. It's something brand new. This guy... Is walking, he's balanced, you know, it doesn't say he's staggering around, and get, but he is immediately walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. Very simple. I love the book of Acts. It's not rocket science. Look at me. This is what Peter and John said. Look at us. Well, I want you to be focused on us and not your need. And he picks him up and he says, be healed in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he's up, leaping, running around, praising God. And this is happening just in front of the gate. Okay, this is happening just in front of the gate. This raising up here in the Greek is to raise up from lethargy or sleep or from the dead. It just means to, it's like this guy was just spiritually dead. He just was spiritually asleep. And this is an amazing fulfillment of Isaiah 35 verse 6, where it says that, it says that, um, that the Israelites, would, their, their lame will leap like a deer. And so our healing begins from the inside, I think. I think it begins when we start looking at God. We, you know, sometimes you may say, well, Pastor Chris or PC or Pastor Christian or Christian, whatever, I 
I go by anything. Uh, you, you, it sounds like you're always preaching the same thing. <laughs> Keep repeating yourself. I don't know what else to say. This is really a simple gospel. Mm-hmm. And all the people, in verse 9, saw him walking and praising God. Now, now realize here, Peter doesn't say, do you believe I can heal you? Or Peter doesn't say, are you a Christian? Have you said the sinner's prayer? Have you been baptized? Are you, do, you, do you have membership to this temple? You know, are you, you know, are you, are you confessed up to date? And, you know, are you living in, no, I mean, this guy's not even saved. I, this is just amazing. I, I love how the Bible takes a risk and just, just blows it all out of the water. And he says, he lifts him up, he raises him up, and this guy, just by looking, is healed. And so the people see him, in verse 9, walking and praising God. So this guy's walking around the temple like this, praise the Lord, you know. I mean, there's probably a lot of people there with, you know, money changers and everything that's going on. And, and Peter and John are just standing there, maybe backing up a little bit. Because, um, by the, you know, in the next verse, they are already outside, and they're, they're kind of near the Solomon's porch area. So they're kind of backing up. And he's walking around praising and worshiping God. That's incredible. And they were filled. And you know what happens? Everyone recognizes him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They're looking at this guy who had just before, he had just emaciated legs, probably just in rags, just a very poor man. Now he's walking around praising God and worshiping God. This is a wonderful and amazing thing. And this is the first thing that happens. This is the first miracle, really, that we see performed in the first church. And it's a, it is, a, it is an, a very significant miracle because it was prophesied in, in Isaiah 35. And this is what the priests and the scribes in the temple are thinking. Leaping, jumping, praising God. That sounds like Isaiah 35. And they were just getting, they were getting so angry. And we noticed in chapter 4, which we talked about in uh, Wednesday at the baker's house, that's when persecution starts. And it's amazing. I just can't believe the devil. It's just unbelievable. Something awesome happens to somebody, and the devil just goes right after them. You know, did you ever have a, did you, did you have a great victory last week? And did you get hit by something by the devil this week? It's the devil stinks. I can't wait. I want to be one of those collective boots that just boots him into hell. <laughs> we judge the angels in First Corinthians chapter six. You know, it says we will judge angels, right? I don't know. I can't prove this, but I think it's just we get to take those demons that plagued us, you know, and we just get to personally just throw them. I don't know. This is not doctrine, but just throw them into hell. you know, I don't know. But that'll be so awesome to do that, right? I don't know. Filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And every, like every, every, like every, like every miracle in the book of Acts, what do we see happen next? What do we see happen next? What happens right after the miracle? Peter stands up and he starts preaching Christ. And so we see the center of the book of Acts is not about the miracles and it's not about the whatever it is, which is just awesome, but it's the preaching of the word of Christ, the word of grace that can build us up and give us an inheritance among the saints I want to wrap this up with this, verse 12. Peter saw it, and he addressed the people. So everyone just comes in. They're just all starting to crowd in. There's this ruckus going on inside. Peter kind of steps out, and Peter sees all the people coming, and he says, men of Israel, and I like this, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at this? I like that. You know, God's miracles are not, I mean, they're amazing to us because we just live in the sphere of our five or six senses, and we 
we don't see anything going on beyond that. And then when something happens, God moves, we're like, oh, that's a miracle. Peter's saying, why, do you, why is that so amazing? Why is that so wonderful? This is the way God works. And why do you stare at us? So now they're looking, now they're looking at Peter and John the wrong way. And they're looking at him like they just did this. And he says, as though by our own power or piety. And I want to just make a quick point about this. You know, when, when people get heal, healed or when God uses you, and he will and he has, people are always going to, by nature, make it about the person. And there's a lot of money in that, isn't there? You know, I remember talking to one guy from Nigeria. He was a student in our Bible college in Ukraine. And he, I said, what's your goal after Bible school? He says, I want to go to America and I want to be a pastor. <laughs> I go, why? You want to do that, you know? He didn't even really speak English very well. And he goes, because pastors in America make a lot of money, you know, and I want to I get myself a Hummer. And I'm like, Whoa. And I was like, his name, was, he was actually a prince. His dad was a king in Nigeria. And I was like, Let's review your curriculum here. <laughs> your goals. And so it's not about us. You know, it's not about us. And I like Peter. And jo- Peter immediately makes it about Jesus Christ. I just will finish with this main point. Religion changes nothing. When we live in the law, when we live under standards that are not grace standards. By the way, the law is not just religious. It could also be social. Social law. Like, you know what? I'm not as outgoing as... Susie is over there. You know, women sometimes compare themselves with other women. You know, and they look at each other and they're like, oh, I'm not as beautiful or as social or as whatever, smart, whatever. That's the law. That's a social law that we're not supposed to be living under. That's legalism. Or how about, like, maybe I'm not as, um, I'm not such a great speaker like, you know, Eduardo is. I'm not such a funny guy like Eduardo. Or, you know, I'm not such this. The worst thing you can do is, and we all do it, whenever we share or minister or perform, I think pastors and worship leaders struggle with this with the most, is we just, when we're done, we walk away and we just totally just crucify what we just did. we just like, that was wrong, this was wrong. I don't know about Neil, but I just do this. I'm driving home, I go, honey, was that like, was that like, that was wrong, this was wrong. And, you know, don't do that. That's a law that we're not supposed to be living under. And I'll just finish with that. Jesus is in our brokenness, and, he, and his finished work heals us and then heals others through us. You know, let's be like Peter. We just say, we just see a guy or a gal. We say, you know what? This person's living in brokenness, and I see their value through, because of the gospel. And I'm just going to love on this person right now. And I'm not going to, I'm just going to pick him up. I, I just like Peter. I, I just, I don't know. He's the guy who's not calculating, he's not planning ahead very far. I'm going to step out of the boat, walk to Jesus, right? What a, that's a nice plan. <laughs> I was like, you know, over the foot, over the edge of the boat, and he's no plan. Peter picks him up thinking, okay, what if this guy doesn't walk? What if I pick him up and he just, he's just hanging there with his legs just, <laughs> you know, what happens then? You know, like I just think that Peter had this Peter was either all in or he was all out. And that's what I think of like, that's what like God loves about Peter. John was more calculative, more feeling, more, more melancholic maybe. He's more of an artistic per, you know, I love artistic personalities. And, you know, maybe he was more calculative. Peter was just like, I'm just going to tell you what I think, you know. I'm just going to tell you what I think, and I don't like that. And I'm going to follow you to the end until I die. And the finished work heals us and puts us in a place where we can just minister to others and just be bold about it, you know. Let's just be boldly loving people. Let's just say, you know what, knock it off, you know, lame man. Start thinking with God about who you are, you know spiritual slap in the side of the head 
don't do that literally. I'm being a little graphic here today. But let's just really challenge people to think with God about who they are. Because when we do that, you know what? We are really the answer. We're not the answer, but we bring in the answer to that weird paradox that exists today in religion. And if you see it, God's going to give you compassion, and he's going to, he's going to work through you. So I really believe that God's going, God is working through this team. I'm just so excited about it. I love this team. I love how it's just growing. Uh, I love what, you know, what the Lord has been doing. Last night we just had such a great party with um, birthday party with Hannah and the whole self family and and not, not a lot of people were invited just because it was they just know a lot of people and we were there and we were these with these three different families and I was thinking these are people that we did not know a few a few months ago and here we are at their table and they're just fellowshipping with us and they're receiving from us and I thought you know let's let's lift them up with our right hand so that they can walk into the temple, praising and worshiping God. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer.